0: Welcome to episode 34 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll talk all about how you can't have your cake and eat it too. Let's sink our teeth into it with our host, Tammy Fisher.
1: Do you remember that case that went to the Supreme Court about the baker in Colorado that refused to bake a wedding cake for a gay couple? Most people think that case creates a rule that applies in states other than Colorado. And in Montana... We have several proposed bills in the legislature that seek to advance religious freedom by adding legal protections to folks who refuse service on the basis that their religion forbids them from providing a service. So I think we should talk about the Colorado Baker case, its effect in Montana, and these new bills we're seeing that promote religious freedom. And as we do here at MVP, we first must talk about Republican principles and what our party platform tells us about religious freedom and about equal treatment under the law, because the platform discusses both. But in the context of refusing services or housing, which principle in the platform reigns supreme? Because if you advance religious freedom and free market principles, conceivably, any business owner in a free market should be able to refuse service to anyone. And this is especially true if you add on advancing religious freedom. If my religion informs me that gay folks are evil and serving gay folks is then serving evil, well, doesn't that seem fair? Because can't the gay folks just wander down the street and be served by a baker whose religion informs him that all folks should be treated the same and with dignity and respect as we are all made in God's image and we are all children of God? It raises a question, should we as private citizens and business owners be forced by government to serve anyone that walks into your private business because government has chosen equal treatment over religious freedom? What
0: does the Republican platform tell us? It says, we affirm that all are created equal, endowed by their creator with inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe political freedom and economic freedom are indivisible. Taking back our country means returning to the people and the states the control that belongs to them. It is the control and the power to make their own decisions about what's best for themselves and their families and communities. God bestows certain inalienable rights on every individual, thus producing human equality, that government exists first and foremost to protect those inalienable rights, that man-made law must be consistent with God-given natural rights. And if God-given natural inalienable rights come in conflict with government, court, or human-granted rights, God-given natural inalienable rights always prevail that there is a moral law recognized as, quote, the laws of nature and of nature's God, end quote, and that the American government is to operate with the consent of the governed. We denounce bigotry, racism, anti-Semitism, ethnic prejudice, and religious intolerance. Therefore, we oppose discrimination based upon race, sex, religion, creed, disability, or national origin and support statutes to end such discrimination, end quote.
1: So the Republican platform, when it talks about sex, it means based upon whether you're a woman or a man, you can't be discriminated against. It does not extend in and of itself to sexual identity or sexuality, whether you're homosexual or not. So as society has advanced, though, we have to figure out the balance between religious freedom and equal treatment and what role The government plays in both. But let's first understand the truth behind the genesis of anti-discrimination laws. People think anti-discrimination laws were implemented because folks were racist, and that's not true. The government was racist. Legislators embedded racism into their laws, and it was wrong, super wrong. So legislatures use the weight of government to mandate discrimination through the adoption of Jim Crow laws. It wasn't that business folks were discriminating on the basis of color. Folks were discriminating because the law forced them to. Government made discrimination legal. So anti-discrimination laws were an attempt to undo government-mandated discrimination. Now, that's not to say that folks weren't blatantly racist. They sure were, and racist legislation can only be advanced by racist human beings. So there's racism that ran through the veins of many people. But when government picks winners and losers, as it did with the Jim Crow laws, well, then racism becomes far easier to continue as it becomes a government-sanctioned activity. And I call it an activity because hate does require some effort. So anti-discrimination laws eliminated government-sanctioned racism. No longer would the government support racism. Society could still support it, but not government. And government flipped to requiring anti-racist activity. Then government mandated that business owners could not discriminate. It was a flip-flop, but no question, equality advanced. Well, now, some folks want to expand anti-discrimination legislation to include sexuality and gender identity. But if the purpose of anti-discrimination laws was to undo government-mandated discrimination, currently, unless a few authoritarians have their way, we don't have government-mandated discrimination based upon sexuality and gender identity. We certainly have societal discrimination, but not government-mandated discrimination. And where we discover it, we can just repeal that law, like with gay marriage. We did have government-mandated discrimination with respect to gay marriage, but that changed a few years ago, and that mandate was removed. That mandate never made any sense to me because... Government adopted a definition of marriage found in religion and then gave legal rights to folks based upon a religious definition of marriage. I think religion can discriminate all at once because nothing mandates that we stick with one religion over another, but it can't use government as an arm of its discrimination. I mean, the Revolutionary War was fought in part to obtain freedom from a government that had one specific religion embedded as the government-mandated religion.
0: So we are big on religious freedom. Worship whatever you want, have whatever religious beliefs you want, but don't try to embed your religious beliefs into government to create a government mandate where
1: religious persuasion fails. So that's the backstory of non-discrimination laws. Bring us forward to modern day. We have a fact pattern where a gay couple goes into a Colorado bakery and the baker says, hey, I'll bake you a cake and frost it, but I'm not writing what you want on that cake. You can do that yourself or find somebody else to do it. He serves everyone, whether they're gay or black or not, but he put his foot down when this couple wanted written on the cake, quote, support gay marriage. Well, this guy, Mr. Phillips, thought that was a bridge too far because his religion informed him and he believes that gay marriage is a sin. So to use his God-given hand to write something on a cake that violated his religious beliefs was essentially arming or supporting sin, in his opinion. Well, the gay couple is offended as hell and turns Mr. Phillips into the Colorado Civil Rights Commission saying his refusal violated the Colorado anti-discrimination law, which says private businesses cannot discriminate, in other words, cannot refuse to accommodate based upon sexuality. So the Civil Rights Commission agrees with the gay couple, and then the case finds its way to the United States Supreme Court. Author Linda McLean explains the arguments on both sides of this case very well in her article, The Rhetoric and Bigotry and Conscience in Battles Over Religious Liberty and LGBT Rights. She reports, quote, Both sides agree on the importance
0: of civility, tolerance, and pluralism, but disagree about what those commitments require. Supporters of people of conscience trying to live out their faith in the marketplace argue that robust protection of First Amendment freedoms everywhere, including the public square, is the only path to tolerance, civility, and peaceful coexistence. Defenders of full enforcement of modern civil rights laws argue that civility and tolerance require that there be limits to acting on beliefs. However sincere and religiously motivated, in businesses open to the public, that is the price of citizenship that we pay in our civic life. In a religiously diverse nation, unless certain lines are drawn, every conscience would be a law unto itself, raising the prospect of constitutionally required religious exemptions from
1: civil obligations of almost every conceivable kind, end quote. So how do we reconcile non-discrimination principles with civil liberties such as religious freedom? Can religion be used as a basis to deny services to anyone? Are religious individuals entitled to be left alone and not be forced by government to associate with folks they don't agree with? Do we need government To require the religious to put their religious beliefs to the side so that any marginalized person must be served out of business? What if a guy I know is a criminal came into my law office? He's a criminal and criminals are marginalized. Do I have to help him or provide legal services to him? How far does anti-discrimination extend into my business and my freedom to tell someone to pound sand? And for folks that say, well, criminals make choices and no one chooses to be gay, I absolutely agree. The point is, what are the parameters around anti-discrimination laws? Are they limited only to birth factors? Because then religion falls out of anti-discrimination laws, as does age, and now we can't discriminate based upon choice of religion or age. So you see how complicated this gets? Mr. Phillips, the baker, argues Colorado violated the First Amendment by compelling a private citizen to utter what is not in his mind. Mr. Phillips' lawyers relied on a famous flag salute case where a West Virginia state law mandated that students and teachers recite the Pledge of Allegiance or be expelled or fired. A student refused and said his First Amendment rights to free speech and religion were violated by a mandate that conflicted with his deeply held religious beliefs. Now... The precedent or the prior case with a similar fact pattern was decided differently. In Minersville School District versus Gobitis, the Supreme Court determined the statute mandating the Pledge of Allegiance in schools was legal and Jehovah's Witnesses could be compelled by operation of law by government to salute the flag, even though their religious beliefs forbid it. That decision is believed to have led to increased persecution of Jehovah's Witnesses and labeling that their religious beliefs were not only un-American, but they were anti-American. So think of how marginalized they were. So by the time that the West Virginia case came around, the Supreme Court overturned the Gobitis decision and said West Virginia went too far to mandate through operation of law that kids pledge allegiance to a flag and salute a flag when deeply held religious beliefs conflict with the mandate. So their freedom of religion range. That's right. Well, now we have a baker who doesn't want to serve a gay couple because his religion doesn't acknowledge the existence of gays or viewed being gay as a sin and he didn't want to be part of sinful activity. But it wasn't that he refused to bake a cake or refuse service. He just refused to put in writing what the gay couple wanted in writing on the cake because it conflicted with his personal religious beliefs and he believed it would be sinful to promote activities as religion specifically forbids. And of course, the gay couple argued the law was lawful and forces the baker to write whatever they want on the freaking cake because a right to espouse beliefs of one's own choosing does not include the absolute right to exercise and practice such beliefs in utter disregard of the clear constitutional rights of other citizens. Both sides have really interesting arguments that raise other questions. For example, if a black person wants a cake that says, happy birthday, N-word, And I refuse to write the N-word because I don't like it. Since the request is from a black person, am I discriminating based upon race? Well, under some of the arguments here, that could be discrimination. Should our anti-discrimination laws then force me to write words I find distasteful simply because the person asking is a person of color? Or is that level of rejection and refusal acceptable because it doesn't cause material harm to the customer? Yeah, there is a harm. It's a rejection for sure. But if they can, you know, get out their own frosting and write it on the cake, is it a material harm? Does it matter? The goal of ending discrimination, I think, is to increase tolerance. But who in this situation is intolerant? the government who is intolerant of the baker's religious beliefs or the baker who is intolerant of the promotion of gay marriage he wasn't intolerant of gay folks he serves them but he won't write on cake's language that promotes what his religion calls sin and if tolerance is a two-way street which way are we gonna go through a government mandate or through social evolution And is it better when government is involved to have the standard that so long as the gay couple can readily find the same good or service elsewhere, Baker Phillips and any other business owner can be exempt then from anti-discrimination accommodation laws? Well, that seems weird. Would this allow social persuasion rather than the weight of government to advance a more tolerant society in keeping with our Republican, less government, more freedom principles? These are great questions we hope the Supremes would answer in the Colorado case. Did they? Nope. They did say that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was hostile towards Baker Phillips in its enforcement of the law. Well, what does that mean? The court didn't say the anti-discrimination law in Colorado was an illegal infringement on religious freedom. It simply said that as applied by the Civil Rights Commission, the commission didn't treat the Baker fairly. Because the anti-discrimination law protects discrimination based upon religion and sexuality. So the commission was forced to, based upon that law, apply the law fairly and must treat both the religious and the homosexuals fairly when a case involves both protected classes. So the ruling itself is a dud. Legally fascinating, but a dud for determining which right reigns superior, equality or religion. So what about Montana? Well, Montana doesn't have a non-discrimination law for private business owners that extends to sexuality and identity. Our protected classes are limited to race, sex, religion, and age. So the Colorado case and the Supreme Court's decision really has no effect in Montana because we don't have a similar law where a gay couple could sue a businessman for refusing service to them. Private businesses can discriminate against gay folks in Montana. Montana does not prevent by weight of government mandate discrimination against gay folks.
0: So then why do we need SB 215, which provides a legal defense to an allegation of discrimination that can't occur in the first place?
1: Well, Senate Bill 215 is weird because here's what we're saying. If I say to a gay couple, I'm not baking your cake. That's perfectly legal in Montana, and there's nothing the gay couple can do from a government and legal redress standpoint. They can't sue me, or if they did, the case would be dismissed because they have no standing because they aren't a protected class in Montana. So, yes, to those of you that may be shocked, discrimination is legal in Montana. But that doesn't mean that society won't deter you from discriminating. It certainly will. You could be boycotted or picketed or yelped at. But the government won't intercede to protect the gay couple. It's the rest of society that probably will. And that business may not be in business very long, but it's not the government that would intercede. So if a gay couple can't sue me for refusing to serve them, then why do I need a new legal defense to a case that can never be brought? It seems that Senate Bill 215 is motivated by fear, Or is just being picked up as the proposed legislation of the day supported by a national political action committee that doesn't care whether Montana has a anti-discrimination law or not. It's like this is the Colorado Baker defense law to protect Montanans against what happened in Colorado without even recognizing that current law doesn't allow what happened in Colorado anyway.
0: Is the fear of expanded anti-discrimination law legitimate?
1: Well, maybe. But if we legislate on the basis of fear, we end up with anti-Sharia law bullshit that promotes fear-mongering and false impressions of reality. However, we know that local governments in Montana have implemented, some have implemented non-discrimination ordinances within their city limits that do extend to sexuality and identity. So from our standpoint, if the issue is what local governments are doing just like with the other issues the appeal should be to the local government to modify the non-discrimination ordinances to create this defense senate bill 215 is essentially repealing all of the local non-discrimination ordinances which is a state government overreach
0: and it's being carried by the state government overreach golden boy carl glim so that's no surprise Glenn wouldn't know the Republican platform if it sat on his lap and called him daddy.
1: (laughs) But the Montana Republican Party platform proclaims local government as reigning superior to state government and forbids state government overreach. So while we personally believe in the concept of freedom of religion, that is absolutely a fundamental right that we all hold. And we believe it should serve as a legal defense. Senate Bill 215 doesn't cut the mustard. If it's fear-based, it's not a reason for government intervention. If it's based on the Colorado case, then whoever drafted it needs some legal research training to figure out that Colorado law doesn't apply in Montana. And if it's based on pulling the rug out from local government, then it blatantly violates the Republican platform. So Senate Bill 215 sounds good, but its practical application reflects its premature based upon a legal premise that doesn't exist in Montana and is a power grab again by state government over local government, rendering it inconsistent with the Republican Party platform. Take the concept to the cities that have adopted the non-discrimination ordinances. That's the solution. Modify the NDOs that exist. Stop playing hopscotch with local control and start following the freaking Republican platform. So while we support the concept, we can't endorse how the concept is being advanced by a power mongering state legislature that continues to completely disregard the Republican platform that they wrote.
0: Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Become a sponsor of the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page, and clicking on the donate button. Subscribe to the show on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Parlor. Our handle is at MTValues. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is Montana Values Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.